Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, as always, Carrie Parker. And today we have the second half of our interview with the EFF's Aaron Mackey, uh, talking about their lawsuit against AT&T and others, claiming basically that they've broken the law and they are selling your location basically to anybody who wants to buy it. Now, that's obviously more complicated than that. There's like multiple layers to this process, but the effect at the end of the day is that if you want to find out where somebody is and you've got their phone number and you're willing to pay, you know, maybe 300 bucks, if you go to the right place, you can find that out and in real time, like where are they right now? And with, they've got packages where you spend enough money, they can, they can give that information to you over time. So, you know, hopefully in light of this lawsuit, a lot of these things have been shut down. ATT claims that they have broken some of these relationships for violating their policies, but um, anyway, well, so we're going to talk about the rest of that today and we'll get into why apparently our federal agencies just don't have any appetite for enforcing laws that are already on the books, leaving it to people like EFF and organizations like EFF to, to pick up the slack and, and, uh, be out there representing you. So, uh, very important stuff and really glad to have had Aaron on here and we're going to finish up that topic today. One of the things that we do talk a little bit about at the end, uh, they, and we'll, I'll bring this up again after we've discussed it a little bit is what you can do to, you know, guard your own privacy. And in particular, with this case, you know, how, how you can be aware of how your location is being tracked. So there's, there are several guides and I'll put some in the show notes, but I also mentioned some here. He mentions their guide, which is surveillance self-defense. Uh, and so if you take those, uh, the initials there, SSD for surveillance self-defense, sse.eff.org, uh, and I've referenced this several times, it's a really good comprehensive guide to kind of help you guard your privacy and protect your data. Some of the things are a little more, uh, harder to do than others and, and not everyone needs to do all the things there, but it's definitely a good reference. Uh, of course, I also have to mention my book, which has over 150 tips on how to protect your privacy and guard your security. So, you know, check that out on amazon.com, uh, firewalls, don't stop dragons. Of course, the, you go to the blog and sign up for my newsletter and I've got uh, several articles there as well. So my point being is it, there are several good resources out there from EFF, from myself and others that can help you guard your privacy, your location privacy, your data privacy, protect against identity theft, all, you know, all these things that we're having to live with today in, in our modern digital internet-connected lives. All right, enough of that. Let's get to the second half of our interview with Aaron Mackey. I'd like to segue into a little bit of the, I guess, the political or governmental aspects of this, not really partisan, but why, if, if these are, if, if they're breaking federal laws, why are our government agencies not the ones finding and pursuing this? Yep. And why does it have to be done through private organizations? I am as equally mystified <laughs> as, as you sound, you know, so, so the, the communications act gives the FCC primary jurisdiction to enforce this these provisions and to investigate and, and, you know, take actions against them. They have the same ability to not only fine um, the carriers, but also to order them to take certain steps. So, so why haven't they done that? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to speculate, but I think it's um, very telling 
when you have certain commissioners on the Federal Communications Commission taking, you know, they, they, they are writing op-eds in the New York Times, they're, they're writing sort of public letters in which they're demanding that the current leadership of the FCC actually investigate this. And, and not only are they asking for sort of like thorough investigations, there have also been, you know, the minority members of the FCC have publicly commented that they've been denied access to basic information about the FCC's mm-hmm. investigation into these practices. So I don't want to, again, speculate as to what the motives might be, but it's 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 completely mystifying as to why, in the face of, of clear evidence of a violation, and if you don't agree with that, at least clear evidence of the need to investigate yeah. of a potential violation, there's been an you know inaction. Um, you know, it's always hard to tell if if the agency is investigating because they don't talk about it. But again, like when minority members of the FCC take to the New York Times to sort of make the case as to why what's going on is illegal, that's a bad sign. Yeah, and I don't. I don't have the historical perspective. I don't know that you do either, but has this, it really seems that our government has gotten, I mean, we have all, all these committees and things and Congresses, whatever, and they, and they usually try to split them up across party lines. So that's kind of a, you know, at least a end to N plus one ratio of, of whoever is running these things. And, you know, the controlling party has the, 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 you know, whatever. So they try to sort of make it pseudo balance, but you know, with the tipping point given to the current party in power. Um, Have these have these agencies though? Have they? Is this historically common for them to be this political? Because it it certainly seems like a political thing. Like depends on you can you can guess how they're going to go based on which party is in control of the agency. Is that has that always been the case? I mean, I think the agencies have always been political, um, both the FTC and the FCC, and we've seen things like prioritization and policies that are sort of you know, up to their discretion being changed or say like the priorities of enforcement might change from uh, a Republican administration to a Democratic administration. You know, the FCC's sort of example, case in point, is, mm-hmm. is the whole debate about net neutrality yeah. and the rules around there. But, you know, I see this as as different in kind. In be- and that's because we have a statute on the books that bipartisan Congress passed and was signed into law by President Clinton more than 20 years ago, mm-hmm. in which everyone agreed that this data was sensitive and deserving of protection and gave the FCC the authority to do so. And the FCC rules implementing it concur that this information is sensitive and needs to be protected and, and sort of lay out a regime that you know, these carriers are supposed to meet. And so when it's violated, you know, this is not a case of like, does the FCC need to go out and, and conduct a rulemaking to, to sort of give itself new authority um, or sort of intruding into a, like a new, uh, you know, at least an arguably a new area of law or policy or technology that might have, you know, equal or not even equal, but just sort of competing arguments as to whether mm-hmm. or not they should do so from a political side. This is not one of those cases, right? This is just about what the law says and what the policy is and whether or not the FCC is going to enforce that policy. Well, and I think from my perspective, what I also seems to have been seeing is that the the Republican Party is very, you know, anti-regulation and quote-unquote free market, though I would argue that they're they're not that way in the things they care about. (laughs) But and it's one of the other kind of meta levels that these things seem to get played with is in funding, for example, or, you know, so yeah, these rules on the books, but they basically starve the agency and not give them enough, you know, resources to actually do anything about it is right. 
Uh, and that seems to be something else to go on to. So it's one, one particular question on this particular issue. I know that the Obama administration had some privacy regulations that were set to go into effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think shortly, uh, gosh, I can't remember, maybe 2016 or 2017, that right. when, when Trump came to office, he basically struck, or he's FCC, not him, maybe directly, struck those down. Would that have played into this at all? Would that have, if those protections had gone into into enforcement, would that have helped your case here? Uh, it, it, in some ways, yes. Um, so just to back up what, what the, the um, FCC, then FCC chairman, Tom Wheeler, you know, and and the a majority of the FCC, I think, on a on a partisan vote, passed these um, broadband privacy rules, and and what they basically did is they they set the same sort of defaults that we're talking about in the context of your cell phone data to, you know. The type of data that you generate in the course of getting your service from your local ISP, mm. and they provided sort of similar requirements about opt-in, sort of notice and consent, right? Flipping the the default from sort of the opt-out, you know, to an opt-in with affirmative notice. You can't just sort of have it buried in terms. It has to be sort of specific for a particular purpose, and it can only be, you know, its downstream use is only limited to that purpose. And so what happened then, it was passed, and then it was subject to uh, actually Congress passed uh, the Congressional Re- a Congressional Review Act where they actually vetoed, essentially, the FCC rules. Right. Uh, and then President Trump signed the, the Congressional Review Act. So, so it would have helped in as much as it would be a lot of those same, you know, AT&T is providing a wireless network service to you in terms of the the data or sort of the network it uses to deliver you your cell phone um, voice calls and your text messages. And then it has, you know, data coverage as well. And so in their roles as being ISPs, they also would have been subject to those broadband privacy rules in addition to the CPNI rules. But I think it's really sort of murky. And I, you know, generally speaking, when they're providing the service to you, they're not making a split when you're using your cell phone for all the various mm. things that you can use your cell phone for. So it certainly would have would have been helpful um, to have those rules and to, to sort of argue that it, it, it would just sort of reinforce. But we think the, the current statute sort of clearly lays out that, that what's occurring here uh, is, you know, it's not following what the statute requires. Do you feel that there's been like a just kind of a shift in industry standpoint on these things? Because it seems like to me, and maybe, you know, I don't want to sound political, but it, I, my guess is that it it seems to have the shift seems to have occurred with the change of administration. But like, I mean, this the AT and T and and Verizon, for example, were caught. Uh, I think through journalism, not through uh, some some investigative journalist, uh, technical researcher found out that they were basically super attaching a super cookie to everything right. you did through the web on the, on on the devices that they held, which made you trackable. And they were actually turning around and selling that tracking information. And then sunlight was shown on this, and they mm-hmm. did, oh, oh oh yeah sorry you know we're, we're, we'll stop that. <laughs> You know, now right. that you know, once they were caught, and then I think once the new administration came around, certainly after they struck down the Obama era privacy regulations, that they were like, "Oh, carte blanche." Um, right. So it seems to me that the, the, these companies are a lot less shamed by doing this. Like it's just the way that we do business now, and just mm-hmm. we should be getting used to that. Do you feel that there's been kind of a shift in that regard? I mean, I, I think that they've always sort of made that argument. I mean, it's it's pitched sort of, uh, you know, in its most anodyne sense as being about helping right. you as the individual get more relevant advertising. Right. We're doing this for you. Services. <laughs> um, but but I, I think they're, they were never sort of quiet about that. But I think now more than ever, they feel emboldened by the fact that there are no, 
you know, broadband privacy rules had, had been repealed, right? So they have the political backing to do that. And so, I, you know, I don't know if they've shifted so much as probably they're just saying it louder mm-hmm. um, and, and, and are less concerned uh, perhaps about, you know, they, they don't fear enforcement or, you know, sort of new regulation in that way. Um, and so, again, like in, in this world in which regulators are sort of standing by on the sidelines, that's why it's, it's increasingly important that consumers be able to, to take action, you know, and assert their rights and protect themselves, um, particularly in a court of law. So what about so what about flipping on its head? What about what about the populist general? What about what about the electorate? Do you feel that after Cambridge Analytica and some of these other scandals that have kind of been you know exposed, for instance, Securus? I mean that came under light, and and I think I don't know if that you know whenever these things do come to light, at least these companies say, oh yeah, sorry, our bad, we'll we'll stop doing that, and maybe that's a whack a mole kind of thing, like you stop it here and it comes up there. But what do you? Do you feel like this investigative journalism and educating the public is having an effect? Like, do you think that people are finally coming more aware of what's going on and and are pushing back on some of these things and might, as consumers, start making choice and be willing to pay for privacy? What What is your gut feel for how things are going on that regard? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's 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 hard because, like, from my perspective, it's it's clear to me that people have always cared about this. I think there are you know, every day there are just new examples of the type of the the harms that can result from um, whether it's government surveillance or corporate surveillance. And there are there, you know, there are general efforts to try to do things to address them, whether it's via, you know, state laws like here in California with um, sort of state data privacy laws or sort of, you know, pushes to have a, a federal sort of baseline data privacy protection. So I think there's I don't know if it's it's a lack of awareness. Uh, like I, it feels to me like people have always been aware and concerned, but I think what we have now are, are concrete examples from you know press reporting that's helping people better understand what I think they've all intuited all along, which is that this data is sensitive and I give it away, and I'm never really sort of educated as to what that bargain looks like, and I don't have the information in front of me now about what that data could be used for in the future. And so how can I possibly make any sort of, you know, knowledge and educated guess as to like weighing whether to give this service access to things in exchange for, you know, whatever free or not free service that (laughs) it it purports to provide. So I, you know, I think all of this is um, helpful and it's it's pushing people to to demand more whether that's you know just enforcing the laws that are already on the books or or creating new laws but i you know we're we're always hesitant to say that there's like a new awareness about privacy because you know eff for you know going on almost 30 years now have, has been working uh with individuals and and you know representing them in court and in other legal battles and, and in other you know, arenas advocating for their individual privacy. So I think it's always been there. I just think that, you know, the pervasiveness of the problem is sort of being acutely felt uh, at this moment. And, you know, people are standing up for themselves. I I hope you're right. I truly and honestly hope you're right. For, I I get really jaded sometimes. And I just, I, I worry that the people still just don't grok what's 
you know, the, the significance of the data. I mean, you know, and I'm so, so I'm so actually glad to see these kind of lawsuits and see some of these investigative journal articles coming up because, you know, for instance, like I, I read an article somewhere and, you know, I'm a privacy nerd, so I'm guessing most people haven't seen these articles, but there was some researcher that said, yeah, you know, location, if you show me, if I, if you show me just four points on someone's daily schedule, I could probably tell you who that person is, um, mm-hmm. you know, because I could probably tell where they work, where they go to school and where they drop their kids off at school, where they live, you right. know, and just with those few data points, that that's enough unique information that even if all I knew was the location of somebody, I could probably figure out that somebody's Carrie Parker, um, right. you know, and, and, and things like Google going to law enforcement or a law enforcement going to Google and say, okay, uh, we had a crime committed in the, in this block of this city at this time. We're having right. trouble. We're having trouble getting people. So you know, if you you know, tell me all the people that were in a hundred yard radius of this business mm-hmm. at you know between these hours, and you know, the, <laughs> you know that's powerful. Or or, or people going to protest. And think right. about, you know, if it's if it's any kind of a controversial protest, you know, maybe abortion or or any of these kind of hot button issues where, you know, maybe you might wear a mask or something and not realizing that, you know, somebody could come along and say, well, all right, I, I want to know everybody who was at that protest. And mm-hmm. you're probably carrying your cell phone with you because everybody does. And, you're, you know, you're, you're nailed. Mask be damned. Anyway, right. so. Yeah, I mean, I think those things are all of them are significant. All of them are scary. All of them demand our vigilance. And so that's why, you know, we at EFF, we're constantly, you know, trying to learn about these practices and trying to figure out the best way to address them, right? So like in the course of law enforcement, that could mean things like really sort of exercising more local democratic control of the law enforcement Mm -hmm. that serves a particular community. So we're part of a sort of larger community-led and driven effort to pass these ordinances where, uh, you know, before police buy technology, say, like, um, you know, MC catchers, Mm -hmm. uh, conventionally known as stingrays, that they have to propose to, you know, the public, like, here's what we want to do, here's what we're going to use it for, there's going to be some sort of bargain struck about, you know, what are the explicit situations we would use this? What, what are we going to be required to do before we actually use it? Um, you know, warrants and, and things like that. And and those are, uh, again, driven at, at, at this, which I, you know, I think all of what you're talking about is, again, sort of a desire to recalibrate uh, the growing imbalance, whether it's through, you know, corporations collecting data or government being able to have access to all this data that's being generated and collected. And so, you know, we're going to continue to to do the best we can to find out about these practices, uh, to challenge them in court, to pass new laws, to to advocate for local control. You know, th- those are the things that EFF um, was founded on, and 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 you know, it's part and parcel of our mission. It's what what all of us get up in the morning and and go to work and try to do. So, it, you know, as much as you know, what I would say to people who feel sort of overwhelmed and perhaps you know. I don't, I don't want to say hopeless, but, but maybe deflated, there is hope. And, you know, people who say that privacy is dead or engage in any sort of nihilism, um, you know, there's too much information out there. You know, the bottom line is, like, we can stop it now. We can turn around the ship at any time. And just because we've done things a certain way doesn't mean we have to continue to do so. So, you know, whether that's challenging these actions in court or, you know, reaching out and, and being part of a local group that's interested in establishing better civilian oversight practices of law enforcement, you know, asking your lawmakers what they're doing about data privacy mm-hmm. uh, at a state level, at a federal level, you know, why isn't that a, a priority for them? You know, all of these things are steps that people can take, um, and and they should give people hope that that they can 
that they can help move this dial, right? And and that we can build the better future that we want, where the the technology that we use and the data that's generated serves us, right? Serves right. our interests and and not not others. Yeah, and that's and that and that's a point I try to make when I get when I get bummed out and get worked up is there there are plenty of legitimate and powerful and beneficial uses for this kind of data, and we just have to really be careful on how we do it and make sure that people like you are out there to give the counter argument because you know law enforcement and intelligence agencies like we have with the whole going dark problem and Bill Barr and 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 you know saying that you know we need access to uh, all the encrypted traffic you know for for your safety you know we're doing this to protect you we're used to, we're, we want right. to stop the next terrorist there needs to be somebody out there like you guys to present the counter arguments and like okay but you know this has this has downsides there are unintended consequences to this and it can be abused we are all human and mm-hmm. humans you know are not you know, all good. And even you know, the best, you know, best intentions can still pave the way to hell. And so surveillance hell in this case. Right. So, yeah. So we're like, okay. So before we go, I usually always like to wrap up with some practical, you know, actionable items. But before we get there, you mentioned a couple things like MZ catchers. Uh, there are, it's important, I think, to note there's several other ways that we're, our location is being tracked. And right. one of them is these IMSI catchers, which is uh, these stingrays, which are fake cell sites that uh, that law enforcement has used to bring into areas where they're trying to catch somebody or maybe something's going on in that area. And so that basically your phone kind of, I actually, why don't you probably know better than I do. Why don't you explain what those are? And what I'm curious is, and where this is yeah. leading is are, there are other ways that we're being tracked as well. Our apps are tattling on us. We've got mm-hmm. these easy catchers. Do some of the same legal protections apply to this? Or are those totally new car- categories and there's, and, and the, the lawsuits involving those will be totally different. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they, they can be totally different. Uh, I mean, so so generally speaking, you're right as to how MC catchers work is is they basically play this game of, you know, pretending to be the, the closest cell phone tower that a phone connects to. And, and we actually just published this really great white paper um, that you can find on EFF, uh, www.eff.org that talks about how they do this and, and, and sort of their various ways using sort of everything from 2G to, to 5G and, and sort of how they connect and interfere and, and sort of pretend to be a tower, but really sort of just pass your your mm-hmm. calls and other information along. But in the meanwhile, you know, their capabilities can range from just sort of getting basic information about your device to actually, you know, collecting and intercepting the contents of communications that are being transmitted over the network. Mm-hmm. So they can vary, but but you're also right that you know your your apps map um, or uh, you know as has been seen your your flashlight map <laughs> will be collecting massive amounts of data uh, on you and and you know sending it to third parties or turning around and and you know selling it to people and aggregators that that collect information from a whole bunch of other places, and so you know that's why. EFF has been pushing for comprehensive privacy legislation um, that we think, you know, there should be a federal floor and then states should be able to experiment and build on top of that Mm -hmm. to to provide greater protections based on, you know, what what their own elected leaders believe are are, are necessary. And, you know, those are are just sort of important because, you know, as we've seen right now, that the current regime where there's sort of no rules for a lot of this information, how it's collected and, and sort of left to these, you know, agreements, these, these agreements that you click a box through or you just check okay on, you know, the power imbalance is just so great. <laughs> yeah. Um, not just in that moment, but in terms of, you know, you're not even aware of after you click okay. Right, yeah. 
all points moving forward, what they collect it for and, and who they send it to and, 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 you know, how it's used two or three entities downstream from that. So, you know, I, I, it just, it goes back to the need for sort of comprehensive privacy legislation. Uh, you know, we're working to address the, the sort of MC catcher by, you know, requiring state laws or, or, you know, federal policy now is to require a search warrant before it can be used. Um, in California, there's not just sort of a, a warrant requirement, but there's also this transparency requirement under California's electronic communications privacy law, where the, um, the police agency that's using it has to sort of affirmatively report their their ECPA warrants and when they use one of these cell site simulators. And so we're actually, we have a project where we're actually trying to get some of this information and, and better understand like how frequently it's used, what are the circumstances it's used at. Like, you know, we know here just, I'm in San Francisco and just across the Bay at Berkeley, uh, all these protests, we know that there were um, stingrays deployed at several times. And so we're trying to get more information about like, what did that warrant look like? What was the probable cause? What was the criminal predicate mm. for, you know, what are at least initially protests, right? So, so I think that's, that's an important piece, you know, is like consumers and, and individuals can really sort of start working at both the local, state, and federal level to ask, you know, officials at all points up and down that chain, you know, what are they doing to protect individual privacy, both uh, in terms of law enforcement, but in terms of corporate collection uh, and disclosure of that data. Yeah, so it sounds to me like it sounds to me like there's work to be done there, and I know there is. Um, so let's let's wrap up with some practical stuff uh, for folks. So uh, the most relevant, obviously, is I know that you were originally calling out for people to report uh, if they believe there was any illegal location tracking in California relevant to this case. You had a geolocation, an email address, geolocation at eff.org. Uh, are you still wanting people to to write in? Are you still looking for people to join the suit? Yeah, I mean we're we're always interested to hear from folks. You know, I think. What's hard about this type of collection that's at issue in our case is that it it happens because it happens without the notice and consent. There's often no way that somebody would know that this occurred. But, you know, the reporting bears out that at least in some circumstances, people became aware of it, um, often in really sort of scary circumstances. Um, but to the extent that people did experience this or have reason to believe, we're still interested in hearing from folks and talking to them to better understand what happened and to see whether it makes sense to, at some point down the line, you know, either join the suit or make sure that they're part of the, the class um, that we're seeking to certify on behalf of all AT&T customers in California. So actually you brought something up I was meant to ask earlier and I forgot. So I'm, I'm glad you reminded me. Um, is there any way as a, as a customer of AT&T or any of these cell providers or maybe Freedom of Information Act or something, could I, as, as a citizen or as a customer, could I say, I want to <laughs> know, every, you know, anytime anybody has asked for my location, when and where and who it was, do I have that right? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Silly me. I mean, I, you're I, adorable, I mean... Carrie. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I, I that is a you know it's a right that uh, if if you lived in a, an EU country uh, uh, and you had the GDPR regime, you you know I don't know a lot about it, but I know that that that's sort of one of the things that you can do is you can sort of ask that. Uh, we have kind of a rough analog to that in the the federal law enforcement sense, or at least federal government sense. There's the Privacy Act in which you can ask the government, like, what files do you have about me? What what are the records, mm. you know, said agency? What do you have about me? But I think, you know, there are there's obviously models for that, right? Like the ability for the customer to actually have the legal right to demand access to that information, not just, you know, for you 
you could want to see it to correct it. Um, right. You know, but you could also want to see it because you want to re- request that it be deleted or that you want to port, a bu- port it with you and take it somewhere else, right? Like, so all of those things are, are sort of good ideas and that we should be exploring as we think about ways to, again, sort of counteract the extreme imbalance in power um, between the entities that are collecting the data and the consumers who use these services. All right. So uh, practical matter. So what do you have in each of EFF or yourself have any uh, kind of stock recommendations for folks that are worried about their location being tracked? Is there anything meaningful they could do with their uh, carriers or whatever to opt out? And as long as you're talking about it, is there, are there any apps to avoid? Is Android any better or worse than iOS? What are your kind of your general stock you know, recommendations for the individual who wants to guard their, their location privacy? Yeah, I mean, so my general advice is that it's it's always hard to give general advice that can be applied to people's specific situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so EFF has this great guide. It's called Surveillance Self Defense, mm-hmm. and it, it talks about you know tips and tools for for how to how to enable safer communications and disclosure of data and things like that. So if, if folks are interested, the website is ssd.eff.org um, and it, it can provide information and sort of talks about it in a level of nuance that like, you know, unfortunately, Carrie, you and I are probably not going to be able to, <laughs> to do in, at this time. But, yeah. but I mean, I think, you know, I, I think those questions about, you know, what are the trade-offs of, of using a particular type of Apple device or, or um, a, a Google device or, or an Android device, you know, and, and sort of what apps you use and what information, it, it's, it's sometimes hard to generalize mm. and it's really hard to make sort of uh, assessments and recommendations. But I, I think, you know, there are steps that people can take to, to think about ways that they can limit uh, the data that's disclosed and a lot of that we talk about in this guide. All right, and then you know, obviously the the the, the classic contact your representative kind of thing. What what uh, what are the most most effective ways as citizens, U.S. citizens we can uh, tell our representatives what, how we feel? Are there any particular bills right now that we need to be telling we want to support? Are because a lot of them are on recess now, so they should be out there doing town halls and being available right. to their, their, their uh, constituents. What, what do you have any particular recommendations on what's the most effective way uh, to to make your voice heard uh, at that level? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Going and talking, you know, at these town halls, and and we have on our on our website, we just published this sort of like guide to you know things you could ask your representative as they come home because they're on recess, um, and so that's at a federal level. Uh, you know, states sort of legislative seasons vary, but again, you know, there there's there's generally a lot a lot more that people can do because the representatives represent smaller numbers of constituents. Um, there's sort of more opportunities for engagement and availability mm. and access. But I think, again, like one of the most concrete steps that folks can take is, is really at the local level is thinking about how you can be part of community-led groups um, or just individuals who are stepping up and, and asking that like your city council or your county board of supervisors um, or your aldermen to to create a process that before law enforcement uh, you know purchases surveillance technology that they come and justify it publicly and talk about how they're going to use it and then there's an up and down vote about whether or not the community decides to 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 allow this police force to to have this technology um, and I think people you know I think people often forget or, or at least underestimate how 
much power they can wield and mm. how much power they can wield, you know, just in a small group locally. Uh, you know, the, the, some of the biggest advances of the past several years in terms of privacy um, and sort of democratic control over law enforcement surveillance have occurred at local levels, right? Mm. So we've seen, you know, here in San Francisco and then in Somerville, Massachusetts, yeah. cities are just banning facial recognition. Right. Right. And it's incredible and it's powerful and it's being led by just people, people living in those communities who are worried about these problems and are, you know, doing everything they can in a democratic society to push back against it. And there's nothing to stop that model from being replicated in every community across the country. Well, that's great advice. And of course, I, I always at this point say, you know, if, if this is something you feel strongly about, but you're busy and you don't feel like you, you know, you're not a, you know, an activist kind of person who wants to get out there and, and do these kind of things, give money to people who do like you. <laughs> so, you know, donate to the EFF. There's other ones, of course, that, you know, Epic, ACLU, or some of the folks that are you know, at Center for Democracy and Technology. There are a lot of them, but of course, you guys, uh, I've had you on the show several times, so everybody knows if we like you. Um, you know, donate Thank to you, you. guys because because you guys are out there fighting the good fight for everybody all the time. And, and you guys are doing really, obviously, being very effective doing it. Uh, you've had a lot of successes. And uh, even if it's not, I, I still think that, you know, just awareness uh, that these things are going on, you know, even when these cases come up and they don't go your way. I mean, the fact that they hit the news, the fact that they, you know, the people do talk about them and see the, Oh yeah, maybe that's not a good thing. You know, it's still a win. So, you know, I, I always tell people that to, to donate to you guys and send you guys a little bit of money, every little bit helps. So um, I recommend people do that again here. Yeah. Thank you. And and we really appreciate it. And there are definitely a lot of other organizations doing really good work who, uh, who we, you know, are regularly working with. Um, and, and the last thing I would say to the person who doesn't feel like they could speak out at a town council meeting, you know, start small, right? Start small. You don't have to, your first step doesn't need to be creating the petition for the ban <laughs> of facial recognition. It can just be going to a local group and talking about privacy, and, and, you know, there are, there are all these sort of groups across the country that are forming or have formed that care about this. Um, and so you don't even have to speak. Maybe you just, you know, the, the, the biggest first step mm -hmm. is, is just showing up. And so to folks who are worried about it or thinking, oh, I, can, I can never do that. I can't make a phone call. I, I don't want to speak at the town council meeting. Um, just, just find out if there's a group uh, in your area who, who works on these issues. And, and maybe just attend a meeting. Um, and just see what it's like. And I think, you know, donations are great. We will always take those donations. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if people can get engaged in their community, yeah. that that's even better. So so that would be my gentle push um, for, <laughs> for folks. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for calling on, Aaron. And this is really good material. And I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. So thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Big thanks again to Aaron Mackey for coming on the show and just EFF in general. Uh, I've worked with Rebecca at EFF for a long time now, and she's done such a great job at helping me find folks at EFF to interview, and they've been so generous with their time. And so I wanted to give a shout out just kind of generally to EFF. Um, of course, I really like working with these guys, but I've talked to several other organizations, and it's been really hard to find folks to to interview. Um so uh, I'm working on that. Um, we've got I've got contacts now at the ACLU, and I've I've got an upcoming interview with somebody from Epic, the uh, Electronic Privacy Information Center, and I've been trying to get somebody from that organization for a long time. So hopefully that will get my foot in the door, and we'll get some more folks from them as well. But uh, as I promised, uh, uh, go to the show notes at uh, podcast.firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. You'll see these two interviews with Aaron, and if you click on either of those episodes, you'll see the the links to the show notes. 
uh, which links to their surveillance self-defense guide, uh, along with several other things, including their AT&T lawsuit in California. So if you're in California and you think maybe that somebody has illegally gotten hold of your location information, you might want to reach out to those folks with the information there uh, to report your story, and maybe you'll end up being part of this uh, this lawsuit. But he also mentioned, um, Aaron also mentioned getting involved locally, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's a great way to kind of get your feet wet. And, and as he said, you don't necessarily have to be the person who pickets, you know, city hall or, you know, goes up to the podium at the, at the town halls to, to ask the tough questions, go to listen and watch and maybe and see what other people are asking and just kind of participate in the process. Uh, he mentioned find, finding local groups. You could check meetup.org. I think it, or no, it's meetup.meetup.com. Uh, just kind of a general meetup thing and uh, for any kind of interest group. Uh, and you might find some some political groups there or some privacy or, or even cybersecurity groups there. Uh, but you can also check out the Electronic Frontier Alliance. That's the EFA. Uh, that is another kind of a grassroots organization thing that the EFF is helping to organize. Uh, and you can start your own group, uh, but you also might look and see if there's, a, if there's an EFA group local to your community already. That might be a great place to start. If you go to EFF.org slash fight, uh, you'll find the information there on the Electronic Frontier Alliance, and you can search to see if there's any groups in your area already, and it'll tell you how you can start setting up your own group if you're really interested in doing that. But I'll, I'll, I'll say one more thing, and we kind of alluded to this maybe in the interview, and I've said it before on the show, and that is just talk about these things. Um, you know, when you're out having conversations with people and, and, and these topics the, these come up in the news or someone happens to mention uh, something related to privacy or protecting your rights and, you know, in this realm, have the conversation, you know, discuss these things. Um, if you've learned something, share it. Uh, if you do end up donating to EFF.org and they, you know, you have the option for them to send you a t-shirt or a hat or stickers or something, uh, go ahead and take that and then wear the hat, wear the t-shirt, put the sticker somewhere where someone's going to see it and ask you about it. Hey, what's, what's EFF? Uh, and you know, that could be a conversation starter. And it's just, it's just important that we acknowledge these things and share information where we can because, you know, awareness and information uh, and transparency are really the very first steps. And, you know, the more people that are aware of this stuff, the better. So again, I'll quickly plug the book. If you want to, uh, if you want some great general advice on all sorts of ways to protect your data and privacy, um, you can get uh, my book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, on Amazon.com. Uh, or go to my website if you would like to get a newsletter. I put it out every every sun every other Sunday, uh, so straight to your uh, inbox if you prefer that. Or you can just go to the website. In fact, if even if you do sign up for the newsletter, you can kind of see the old newsletters by going to my blog because I blog and newsletter at the same time. Usually the same topic, not always. Usually, so you can actually kind of sort of see back issues of the newsletter. Um, and some of the, I've got some kind of ongoing ones that I keep up to date, uh, like, uh, you know, data privacy checklist and things like that, that you can find there that are kind of good general guides. And those guides actually link to all sorts of other guides as well. That's not just me. I've, I've found several along the, over the years, uh, that I like. And, and so, yeah, some of my guides actually point to a lot of other guides. So plenty of, plenty of information out there. And if you're interested at all, um, check that out for sure. Okay, so I've got, I had a little bit of a dearth of interviews for a bit, and now I've got plenty. So uh, they, it kind of comes feast or famine. I've got two, count them, two interviews coming up soon about facial recognition. Uh, one where we're going to kind of focus on the kind of creepy turn that the Ring doorbell has taken with Amazon. We'll talk about that. Uh, and then I'm going to talk to somebody, as I said, from Epic. We're going to talk about facial recognition in a more broader sense. Uh, because it's really popping up everywhere, and the implications are 
dire as far as I'm concerned. Um, while it obviously has some potential for good, it's got a lot of potential for abuse. So anyway, just to let you know, we've got some great interviews coming up around facial recognition. And after this one next week, I'll definitely do a new show to kind of catch you up. There's been several things that I want to tell you about. So uh, anyway, subscribe if you haven't already. If you can uh, go to your podcast app and subscribe so you're guaranteed to get this automatically downloaded every week. And, of course, tell your friends and family, spread the word if you like the podcast. Uh, if you get a chance, drop me a great review. I'd always appreciate that. A nice little five-star review always helps to, uh, people find my podcast. And uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. A lot of great stuff. So tune in next week. And until then, stay safe and don't get caught with your garbage down. <laughs>